Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. And I'll be reading this morning from the message, a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Would you please rise for our gospel lesson this morning? This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me, remember. I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, Whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. The word of our Lord. You may be seated. Today's chapel is the third in the series that we have been calling the learning series. And uh, today's chapel is Learning for Friendship. And as in the other chapels that we've had in the learning series, you will be meeting on Friday during the chapel time in your small groups. And you will go to the same location that you have been before. And if you are interested in joining a small group and have not been in one thus far, uh, all you need to do is call the chaplain's office at uh, 6777, and they will set you up in, in one of those small groups. And so Friday's chapel will be in small groups. It is my honor and privilege to introduce to you our chapel speaker today, Professor Shirley Mullen. Professor Mullen uh, received her BA from Houghton College, an MA from the University of Toronto, and a PhD from the University of Minnesota. She has been teaching at Westmont since 1983, and she is someone that I know that all of you are very familiar with whether it be through her classes or for those of you who have been able to share times with her in Bible study or in um, small group discussions or individually in her office. What you might not know about Professor Mullen is that she grew up on a college campus. Uh, her father was a professor at Houghton College, professor of philosophy, and uh, so she has grown up at a college that is very similar to Westmont. Houghton is one of our sister colleges. She, uh, as an undergraduate, was an RA. And so for those of you who have been um, RAs or have enjoyed your relationships with RAs, Shirley was an RA. Uh, she majored in history as an undergraduate, minored in philosophy, worked on the yearbook and on the newspaper, and was involved in Houghton's uh, uh, Christian concerns. They called it something different, but both in the world ministries area as well as in off-campus ministries. And so you can see that as a student, Shirley was, like many of you, very busy. And she has continued that path as a professor here at Westmont, involved in numerous aspects of the college. And I have uh, enjoyed so much getting to know Professor Mullen in the um, 
committee type work that she does. But what I have treasured the most is as we have gathered over coffee at Xanadu's, and maybe you've seen her there early in the morning meeting with different people over coffee, and it has been one of the um, joys that I've had in the last few years. In those times over coffee, I have come to know Shirley as a very deeply thoughtful person, someone who thinks very seriously not only about her work, but her life and her love of Christ. She clearly loves all of you tremendously. She desires the best for you. She has been someone who, for me, has modeled what learning and friendship can be, because after every one of those coffees, I come away with my mind expanded, my heart deepened, um, and my spirit refreshed. And so it is my pleasure to be able to introduce to you today this morning's speaker, Dr. Shirley Mullen. Actually, we're going to try the uh, lapel mic. Is that, is that working? Is that working? Okay, great. I'm not a big one for microphones, so I thought I'd try this lapel mic this morning. As Dean Higgins told you, our topic this morning is learning for friendship. And I'm quite serious when I say that this is a topic that we really need to think together about. Uh, this is an area that I don't think there are easy answers in. And I'm sure when you hear that uh, sense or that title, learning for friendship, you're thinking, what does learning have to do with friendship? Uh, these are things that probably many of us experience as very separate in our lives, and yet both of them are so important to college experience. And so I'd like, as I say, to call us together to begin to think about something that I think is so fundamental if we're going to really become whole people. I want to say uh, right at the start that I come to this topic very, very much as a learner. I've thought about it a lot, but I don't think there are any easy formula or easy answers. When I was in college at Houghton over 20 years ago now, I had no idea how learning and friendship fit together. All I knew then was that I very, very much wanted both. I loved learning, but I also wanted very much to be meaningfully connected to people. And actually, I don't think I did a very good job in college at bringing these things together. In fact, at some level, I actually think I tried to keep them apart when I was in college. I thought I would be liked better if people didn't think I was too serious about studies. And it was only later that I realized that the problem of just keeping them separate as I was doing is that I wasn't really bringing myself to the friendships. I was bringing a very shadowy person. My friends in college never really knew what I was about. So I sort of had two compartments in college, friends and studies. And I, and I don't think that's a good way to do it. Um, I don't think I did this well in college. In fact, I think the only thing I did right in college in this area was staying committed to both learning and friendships. And today, 20 years later, I still don't know exactly how these fit together. As I said, I'm very much a learner. But I've come to believe very, very deeply that learning and friendship can have a lot to do with one another. Now, let me just say again by way of beginning, you may be sitting there wondering, uh, why would I ever want to bring learning and friendship together? And I want to just assure you that it's not when they come together that you'll always be sitting around talking about deep intellectual topics. It's not that you're going to always be serious. Um, 
I want to say something. I want to say something like this: the coming together is not a matter of you back here trying to balance learning and friendship both out there. It's really a matter of letting learning and caring about people come together in you. It's really about personal wholeness. It's more like the deeper and more integrated we are as people, the deeper and richer our friendships will be. We'll bring more of who we are to our friendships, and everything in the friendship, the fun as well as the serious, will be deeper and richer. And again, as I said before, I can't tell you exactly how to do this, but my hopes for today—I'm going to share some reflections with you from my own pilgrimage—and I want to invite you to make this question: How do learning and friendship fit together? A set of concerns of your pilgrimage while you're here at Westmont, and then subsequently in your life. So, with these preliminaries, let's begin. I will say, first of all, I do believe very, very much that friends are one of God's good gifts to us in this beautiful and very puzzling world. Friendship is an institution, and you may not think of it that way, but it's it's a it's a it's a pattern of being together as people that is honored in the Old Testament, in the very poignant passages in First Samuel 18 and 19, where we hear about the friendship of David and Jonathan. Jonathan is being described there as being knit to David's own soul. We'd say today they were soulmates. Or as Cicero described a friend, David and Jonathan were second selves for one another. Friendship is an institution that Jesus honors. We know he had friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and we see it especially in the passage that was read this morning from John chapter 15, where Jesus said that he's calling his disciples to be his friends, not his servants, but his friends. So I want to say first of all that there's a home for friendship within Scripture. But then I want to say, along with that, that Scripture doesn't give us a lot of specific instructions about friendship. For the most part, Scripture takes friendship for granted. Or one way of putting it is, there's no First Corinthians 13 about friendship. Unlike charity or the love of First Corinthians 13, that distinctively Christian kind of love, friendship is one of those institutions that we have in common with people of all faiths, and we're left to reflect on it and to enjoy it as part of God's gift of creation. But without a lot of specifically Christian instructions about it, so we've got to work at this together、um, and figure out what does it mean to be friends in the context of our faith and in the context of our pilgrimage as Christian learners. It would seem that a good place to start our reflections is with the common wisdom that floats around about campus on these issues, and I can think of at least three commonplace convictions that probably you've all heard as well. And I think the first one, probably our most fundamental conviction about all this, is that people are important.、Um, in fact, sometimes it's put this way: friends are what really matter. When you leave college, and I'll speak about history here, you won't remember when Napoleon came to power or how long he stayed in power, but you will have your friends. Or as one student told me this fall, when you're dead and gone, what really counts is your friendships. So I think that's one of the common convictions that we have about this. I think a second common conviction is that we're supposed to live balanced lives, and you've heard that word balance a lot. And again, the way the common wisdom usually works is that studies can apparently throw our lives out of balance. So we must have friends to keep our lives in balance. I've always been interested in the fact that I don't hear the concern quite so often expressed that my life is too unbalanced in the direction of friendship, and I really need to get back to the books and to the lab. But maybe you have a better understanding of why、uh, it's that way rather than the other. But we do have this conviction that life is about balance, in part.
And then I think the third conviction, common wisdom about this relationship of learning and friendship, is that college is the time when you make your best lifelong friends. Though none of us would think that people can only form lifelong friends in college, we do have a sense that one of the important things that can happen to us in college is that you'll make lifelong friends. And I guess I want to say that there's something right about each of these common wisdoms or common convictions. Friends are important. We do want to make room in our lives for all of God's good gifts, which involves some kind of balancing. And college may well be a context in which you will form lifelong friends. But, and there's a big but, I want to underline that, I want to assert that these three convictions are the starting point, not the conclusion of a discussion about learning and friendship. They're a place to begin thinking and being, not a place to stop. For once we've affirmed that friends are important, and that we ought to make room in our lives for many of God's good gifts, and that college is a context where we might form lifelong friends, we then have to go on and ask, what does it mean to be a good friend? How do I become the kind of person who can be a good friend? How does the good of friendship fit with all the other goods in our lives? Because that's not the only good that we're called to. We're called to work. We're called to the good of family, the good of service to others, the good of personal growth. And then what does balance mean? And how do we become balanced? And what would it take to build a friendship in college that would be good for a lifetime? What qualities would be part of such a friendship? And for our purposes today, we want to add on to all these questions. How does learning fit in with all this? So there's a lot of things here that, again, there's no way that we can resolve in the next um, 15 minutes. But I want to start a discussion and then invite you to carry it on with your friends, with your professors, and then all of us together as a community to be struggling for this kind of wholeness that comes as we try to bring together our learning and our friendships. What I want to do today, uh, to get this discussion started hopefully, is I want to make two affirmations about friendship first that really come from the larger wisdom of the human community over time. But these are things that I found to be true in my own life. So I'm making two general affirmations about things that I would definitely say I really believe are true about this relationship of learning and friendship, or about friendship, I'm sorry. These points are about friendship. And then I want to present three ways that I've seen learning and friendship go together. So first, two traditional affirmations about friendship that I found to be true. First, complete friendship, and that by the way is Aristotle's term, complete friendship, and I'll say a little bit later what I mean by that, is not something that you can go for directly. To have deep friendships, you have to want something or to be about something besides friendship. Now, let me just pull back here because you may say, well, I don't care about learning and I have friends. But, but let's work with this. If you, if you simply want friends or people to hang out with, and that's what Aristotle calls friendships of pleasure, friendships that are just about enjoying life. In other words, if you only want pleasures or friendships of pleasure, you can go for that directly. And I, and I think that is true. And if you simply want a need met, if you simply want a need met, or what Aristotle calls friendships of utility, where the important thing is getting your need met and the friend is simply any person who will meet the need, you can go for that directly. So I think a certain kind of friendship, I think you can go for directly. Friendships of pleasure, where you just want people to hang out with. Doesn't matter who it is, just we want to hang out. Or friendships where you just have a need you want met. I think you can go for those directly. Um, 
the problem is we want more in life than just having fun, and we want more in life than just having our needs met. If we try to build friendships that way, they're going to be only things that connect with a small part of our lives, or they're only going to be things that we have when we have needs. Um, and of course you could say, well, at some point we have needs all the time, but I want to go on and, and, and work with this a little bit. But a complete friendship, which I'm going to suggest here, is one where you matter for who you are, where there's no interchangeability, where not just anyone will do. This sort of friendship you can't go for directly. These friendships where you are a particular person and you matter as that particular person, these friendships must come to you. Many of the people who will turn out to be your best lifelong friends will not be the people that you sought to be friends with. More often than not, it's the case that while you were focusing on something else, trying to solve some problem together, or working on a committee together, or uh, as I'm going to suggest later, learning together, you'll be caught by surprise that you've received the gift of a friend. Many of you are probably familiar with C.S. Lewis's book called Four Loves. And in his essay on friendship in there, he makes this point very powerfully. And I want to just read a quote from Lewis. He says, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of friends is that we should want something besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth, I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. As Lewis said, there would be nothing for friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. And then he says, the last part of the quote is wonderful, he says, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. So, first affirmation, if you want deep friendships, kindred spirits, you can't go for those friendships directly. You have to be going somewhere. As Lewis says, if you're not going anywhere, you can have no fellow travelers. If you want deep friendships, you must care for something besides friendship. You make true friends in your life as your life is about something. And the deeper you are as a person, the deeper your friendships can be. So that's the first affirmation about friendship. The second affirmation, you can't separate the value of friendship from the nature or quality of the particular friendship you're thinking about. That is, we often hear, well, friendships are always good. Um, we often speak of friendship as if it's an unqualified good. And I, I guess I would want to say that in some sense it is. And we could define friendship in a way that wherever this sort of friendship existed, it would always be a good. But if we're thinking of friendship as it exists in this fallen world, I want to say that friendship is not an unqualified good. Sometimes friends can be bad for us. Sometimes friendships can keep us from being the person that we were called to be. Sometimes friendships can keep us from dreaming big. I mean, I think of conversations I've had with students over the years where they'll say, well, you know, I, I really would like to move there, or I'd really like to pursue that career. But, you know, I couldn't leave my friends. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, here, and I want to be really clear on this, I'm not saying that you never make decisions for friends or on the basis of, of friendship. What I'm saying, though, is that's not the only good that you make decisions about. And I'm just suggesting that, again, sometimes friends can keep us from other goods that we're called to. Sometimes, and this is a scary thought, friends can, keep, can make it easy to betray ourselves. We can let friendships do our thinking for us, or friends do our thinking for us. Um, I think of one of the old family adages that was one of the words of wisdom that my parents would always say as we were leaving the house. 
Um, my dad's favorite statement was, remember who you are. And my mother's favorite statement was, don't do anything you don't really want to do. Now, if you think about that, that's a, an interesting statement for parents to say to you. Don't do anything you don't really want to do. Well, the point of it was, don't let your friends do your thinking for us. And then I come back here and mention something from C.S. Lewis again. In his essay, The Inner Ring, he reminds us that we can come to care so much to be part of a certain group or an in-group of some sort that we slide into doing things that we do not feel good about just to be viewed in a positive light by a certain in-group. So I could go on here, but the point of this affirmation is simply to say that friendship is not an unqualified good. Or to put it another way, the good of friendship cannot be separated from the quality of our particular friendships and their relation to other goods in our life. We must always ask ourselves, is this friendship helping me to grow into the person I truly want to be? Is it furthering the other goods to which I've been called? The good of vocation, the good of service to others, the good of personal growth. Is this friendship helping you to grow? The good of being the person that I believe God wants me to be. The good of being a substantial, clarified person who images God in a way that only I can or only you can. So, so far I've said three common convictions. Friends are important. We want room in our life for many of God's gifts. College can be a framework for the discovery of lifelong friends. And then I've made two affirmations about the nature of friendship from the common wisdom of the human community. We can't go for deep friendship directly. It must come to us. And then a second affirmation that friendship cannot be disconnected from the other goods of our life. So, how do we become the sort of people who are ready for good friendships when they do come? How do we learn to discern when friendships are furthering other good ends in our life? And this is where I want to bring learning in. This is complicated. Um, and much of the answer to these questions is not something I can tell you, because obviously anything to do with people, it's not something you can solve abstractly and cognitively. This is about your life. This is about my life and about how we become whole and bring together all the things we care about or care about the things that, we, that, that can help us to be that kind of whole person. But I do believe that learning can have something to do with good friendships and with answering some of these questions about how to become ready for deep friendship. I don't want to make this relationship of learning and friendship seem more direct and straightforward than it is. So I'm going to make a qualification right here just at the beginning of, of my comments about learning and friendship. We do know that learning does not automatically lead to good friendship. I mean, I'm not claiming here that if you just spend three hours in the library today, you're going to suddenly you know, be this person who's just attracting people to you. For some, learning actually becomes, and I don't think this for a lot of people, but I think in a college community there's probably some for whom learning becomes a way of escaping from people. Some people use learning as a way of getting power over other people, and they're not going to have really good friendships. It's not going to be help, help them become that, uh, really uh, a deep friend. For others, learning seems to alienate them from people or to intimidate others. And certainly we've all had the experience of where learning can lead us out of certain relationships or distance us from, from some people and move us uh, in other directions, even when we don't want that to happen. 
These are all interesting aspects of the learning and friendship question, and I guess they're things that I would invite you to carry on in your own discussions, but they're not for us to explore today. My point here is simply to say that we must not think that learning and friendship are related easily or directly. But I do believe that they're related in very significant ways, and I want to illustrate this relationship by suggesting three ways in which I've actually seen learning and friendship come together. First, learning has been, for many, a context in which true friends have been revealed or discovered or made, and I think any of those words would work. Learning is one of those frameworks that tests people's mettle and reveals them for who they are. It is one of those frameworks, like sports teams, like the trenches of World War I, or summer camp, and those are various ranges of experiences, that provide a common experience or a shared history, and that mark you in a way that you have a bond with those people that have been in that experience that you don't have with others. These frameworks, including learning, do not guarantee that friendship will emerge, and they certainly don't guarantee that it will last, but they do provide a context in which lasting friendship can emerge. And part of why I raise this point is to consider this way that we often talk about balance. Often we speak about balance, learning and friends, as if our lives were like old-fashioned scales. And you know the kind I'm talking about where there's two scales and you're supposed to balance them um, and make sure you get the right amount of stuff on both sides. If I have three hours in the chemistry lab, this model would go. I must be sure to have three hours on the beach hanging out with friends in order to keep balanced. But this is not how balance really works in practice. It's not how people become whole and integrated. Over the years, I've noticed that some of the best friendships among our students have formed among students in the sciences. Now maybe it's the case, and you'll have to test this out by some sort of experiment, maybe it's the case that the people who go into the sciences just start out to be more friendly and gregarious. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the case. I, I'd be more inclined to think it's because they spend more time together in the context of their learning. In the lab, for example, they learn to appreciate each other's insight. Um, and as I've heard some of these people talk about each other, they, they, they come to see um, each other in, in very deep ways. They come to value each other's curiosity or determination or perseverance or sense of humor. They learn loyalty and teamwork. They learn to negotiate differences. They learn how to support each other's dreams and to pursue one, to push one another to excellence. And then they learn to rejoice in each other's success, which is such a fundamental aspect of friendship. And they also have a very good time. They become friends in the context of caring about their work. And then I started thinking about this. Imagine if a chemistry student working on an experiment looked at her watch and said to her lab partner, oh no, it's four o'clock, I need to leave and find my friends. I want to be balanced, you know, and I've been here for three hours, and now I need to have three hours hanging out with my friends. Um, my point here, and, I, and I, know, I know you don't actually talk literally like that, but I think that is the way we sort of think about balance. It's a matter of this kind of balance. My point here is that the person is as likely to be walking away from friendship in doing that as toward it. So learning can be a context out of which friendship emerges. And if it does, 
It will not be because the people in that learning situation are being extra careful and calculating in balancing out their time between learning and friendship. If true friendship emerges in the context of learning, it will be because the friends have been moving headlong with reckless abandon in the pursuit of their learning, and then each discovered that the other was about the same thing, moving in the same direction, going somewhere, to go back to Lewis's quote. The second way in which I've seen learning contribute to friendship is in helping us to cultivate or to practice the skills and the habits of being a good friend. And I'm, here I'm just going to list a few of these, and you could add to this yourself. But, for example, the skills of opening and maintaining conversation. And that's a wonderful skill and a very important one if you're going to have a, a good friendship. Um, including the ability both to listen and to initiate conversation. The skills of paying attention. The habit of persistence, of patience, of faithfulness. And then a very important one, the ability to notice what is unique in a particular situation. To appreciate what makes people different or what makes situations different. That's very important in friendship. To, to be sensitive to particularity. The habit of noticing and caring about all interesting things. I'm thinking of the sorts of transferability here between learning and interaction with persons that Simone Vail talks about in her wonderful essay, The Love of God and School Studies. And that's another essay that I would recommend you pick up as you're continuing this conversation. For the very same habits that you're forming as you work with texts or with scientific investigation can serve to deepen our ability to be a good friend. And this is a start at what I think is the connection here. For learning, if we're really into it, takes us out of ourselves, or to the extent that we're into it, it takes us out of ourselves. It calls us to focus on something besides ourselves, and if we're ever to be good friends, we must have the capacity to get out of ourselves, to care about something besides ourselves, to carry on a conversation that at least sometimes is about something other than what we've been doing in the past 24 hours. And I have lots of conversations like that too, but at some point if we're going to have good friendships, we have to get beyond just talking about what we've been doing and what's just happened to us or whatever. I'm thinking when I make this point of an alum who loved maps, and you may think that someone who loved maps wouldn't be a very good friend. Um, his senior project was on Captain James Cook's voyages in the Pacific, and his paper was illustrated with the most incredibly detailed maps. Now, this sort of careful attention to detail, I could imagine being a very irritating quality in other people. And it might just drive you crazy if it were used in a certain way. But recently, I watched this alum as he was in a setting, a dinner party with eight or nine other people he just met. And in a quiet and gracious way, he delighted the whole dinner party, who was eating Thai food, incidentally, with interesting information about Thai cooking and Thai customs that he'd acquired during his time of teaching English in Thailand. In other words, the same trait that he cultivated as a student in making maps, careful attention to detail, made him a more careful observer of the world at large. And I was amazed at what he picked up in Thailand. He was there teaching English, but he noticed everything. So this, this, this practice that he cultivated as a student made him a much more interesting and gracious conversationalist than he otherwise would have been. And I think some friendships may well have been started that evening. So. We've said that learning can be a context in which friendship can emerge. Second, we've said that learning can be the means of developing and cultivating the skills and habits essential for discovering and maintaining good friendships. And I've got one more point. Third and finally, and I've left this to last because it's the toughest one, and I just waited to try to put this together, but I also think it might be the most important. Learning can cultivate 
our own development as a person of substance. It can contribute to our being about something. Learning can contribute in this sense to your self-definition. Do you know who you are today? Do you know who you are? Is there enough clarity there for someone to be a friend to? Uh, this over the long haul is a prerequisite to good friendship. Learning here is an investment in your own development over time into the sort of person who can sustain a substantial friendship. There's something there to interact with. We often think that we'll have more friends or be liked better if we're very accommodating and very flexible, very malleable, whatever someone wants us to be. And I kind of think that's what I thought in college. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to uh, intimidate people or make them think that I cared about strange things like history. And, and so, I mean, I, I, and by the way, I'm not saying that this is only about talking about your discipline. In fact, I'm not saying that. Uh, that's only part, very small part, actually, of what I'm saying. But um, I think we have this idea that the more accommodating we are, somehow the, the, the better we'll be liked. And it is probably true that if we're generally somewhat flexible and somewhat accommodating, we will get along better with people. But if we're utterly flexible and utterly accommodating, open to being whatever, there's nothing there for anyone to be a friend to. There's nothing there to be valued and cherished or to invite serious and thoughtful interaction. We're flat and bland and just shadowy, kind of like those people in, in uh, The Great Divorce, if any of you have read that book. Learning is an ever-present invitation to discover what we care about and to come to care about new things that will challenge us, that will bring us face to face with the mysteries of the world, of other human beings, of other cultures, of our own culture, the mysteries of our faith, and ultimately the mysteries of our very selves. In this process, we are, or at least we can be if we want to be, transformed into more sensitive, curious, reflective, and interesting and substantial beings, the kinds of people who can be good and lasting friends. I saw this process at work last, e last weekend when I was back in Washington, D.C., visiting the Westmont alumni chapter there. And I stayed with a group of Westmont alums, and by the way, they were a mix of all majors, or not all majors, but many majors, English, comm studies, Spanish, French, uh, international studies, philosophy. And it seemed to me that they exhibited in their lives what it means to be a community of friends who are also developing into substantial selves. And though I certainly would not claim that their learning at Westmont was the only thing that made them this way, they were the ones who talked about that this had been a very important part of what was going on back there. These alums are helping each other to move out after college, to overcome the fears of going out into the world and, and, and living full lives. They're helping each other to find good churches, to find and prosper in good jobs. And they're doing some very interesting things. Um, everything from working for public relations firms, working in a development agency of the Japanese government, working in the White House social office, attending graduate school, working for a congressman. They're doing all sorts of wonderful things. And they're helping each other to imagine the kind of people that they want to become to get involved in service. Some of them are getting into Habitat for Humanity, for example. To reflect on what their Christian faith means once they've left Westmont. To consider how to be kingdom people in the midst of the world. They're challenging each other to grow and to pursue their goals. And then what was especially wonderful to see is that these alums are not becoming more and more like each other in this context. They're becoming more and more distinctly themselves reflecting to each other in that wonderful image in Beyond Personality, reflecting to each other the image of God as only each of them can reflect it. 
These alums can be good friends for each other, for each of them is in the process of becoming a substantial self. And part of that process was that each of these alums, and I remember most of them when they were here, some of them I didn't know before, but each of them took their learning very seriously. In all of this, I'm not saying that learning, and certainly not formal learning, is the only way to becoming substantial. And I'm not saying that you can strike a bargain in this, in a calculating way, and say, I really want friends, and so I'm going to care about something besides friendship, so I think I'll go into chemistry so that I can be in the labs more and make friends. It's not like that. It's not that, it's not that direct. But I am saying that if you want friends, if you value friendships, want to be deeply connected to people, if you want college to be a place where you find lifelong friends, this is most likely to happen if you invest yourself in the business of college, in all of its aspects. The business of seeking to understand God's creation. The business of seeking to understand who you are called to be in the world. The business of deciding what is most worthy of your attention. The business of being faithful to your work. If you seek to be faithful in this way, you will come in the long run to be a balanced person. But it will not be the precarious mechanical balance of the scales. You know, where it's you back here and you've got these two areas of your life out here. It's more like the dynamic balance, and the image I like to think of as like a sailboat, where everything, the sail, the, 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 the tiller, the rudder, the weight, is all working together with the wind, always adjusting but gradually and intuitively to take the ship where it's supposed to go. And you will come, if you give yourself to this task of faithfulness, sometimes when you least expect it, to discover friends, friends who will share your questions, friends who will support your dreams, friends who will call you to accountability, friends who will help you to be the person you've been called to be, and who will do their very best to prevent you from being someone less than your very best self. Let's go back to John 15, the passage that was read this morning. Jesus called his disciples to be friends, but not just to be friends, as if that were our primary call. He called his disciples as friends to pursue together the purposes of God in this world, to bear fruit, because we're rooted in God's love and in the fellowship of good friends. I invite you today, as we leave chapel, to join in this conversation about learning and friendship, uh, to join in this adventure of which learning is a very important part of becoming a whole person, a person of substance, someone who can recognize and truly be a good friend when the gift of a good friend comes along. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, you who are the spirit of all our relationships, you who are the friend above all friends, be the wholeness of all our life and its activities. Be the unifier of our learning, of our friendships, 
and all our context. Be the friend of all our learning and be the learner of all our friendships. Give us joy and give us peace. This we ask of you for the glory of our God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.